Hello, Show Me Mo podcast listeners and viewers. This is your host, Joshua Peach, and we are here for another awesome episode. I have a crew with me today. Uh, after our construction manager at risk with Springfield Public Schools in our last episode, we've been quiet for a couple of weeks. I do apologize for that. Had some personal challenges that came up and then holidays and overeating on Thanksgiving. And here we are. Uh, rolling into the the next holiday season, and we're going to have some episodes for you in the upcoming weeks um, for you. So uh, that said, episode three, um, we reached out to the DLR group, uh, who we're going to introduce you to Rachel here in a minute, and she put together uh, just an amazing crew here with me. I feel like I'm in the Brady Bunch square game with these guys, but uh, I'm going to introduce each of them. And then what we've decided to do on this episode is there is a an incredible mind trust in this group. And uh, we were talking about, you know, different things we can talk about. And we're just going to have a an open discussion on what we learned and some best practices when it comes to construction, new construction and renovation in the great state of Missouri post-COVID. I think that we all look at COVID as a uh, a negative thing. And it was, it was really negative for a lot of it. But now when we're on the backside of a lot of this, I think we learned a lot. I know that we all got a lot better at what we do because we had to. Our resiliency was tested and we've, we're all here. So uh, that says a lot. So I'm going to go around and, and introduce this crew and then we're going to get right into some storytelling. And I, I hope that you guys all get a great take out of this. So uh, Brad, you're number one square next to me in the top left. I'm left-handed. So I go right <laughs> to the left. So uh, welcome, uh, Brad. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm Brad Keel, and I'm with Lee Summit R7 School District, um, just in the southeast corner of Kansas City. And I am an architect by trade and been uh, in, in that K-12 world for over 20 plus years. I've also been on the construction side and uh, now spending the other part of the chapter of my life on the owner side and uh, doing uh, the Assistant Director of Design and Construction for Lee Summit. And I had a pleasure working with McCown Gordon and DLR Group on our middle school projects and excited to be here today. Awesome. Well, welcome. And, and you've put me in just such an awkward position because everybody that knows me knows I'm a, a New England Patriots fan and a, a Tampa Bay Tom Brady a TB12 fan. And that 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 Kansas City emblem behind <laughs> you is just going to it's going to really bother me. I've got to be honest with you, but I'm outnumbered, especially on a Missouri focused podcast. So there you go. Um, I'm just going to move to Brian and just, we will, we'll have a conversation about football another day. <laughs> I'm wearing my chief shirt under here. So I don't, anyway, of course you are all you guys are a bunch of fanatics. I'm just, I I'm wildly outnumbered here. I just, I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> Brian Roth, McCown Gordon construction, uh, McCown Gordon's one of the bigger K 12 builders here in Kansas city. Uh, I've been in the K-12 sector construction-wise for about 16 years now, uh, predominantly CM at risk and CM agency projects. So a wealth of information to share today. <laughs> Brian, you look like a young guy, but were you working in another field in construction prior to that 16 years, or has it been your whole uh, career? Uh, no, I about five other years associated with just random civic and miscellaneous projects before that. I found the love of K-12. <laughs> oh, I love it. Love it. Well, welcome. Joe in the hot seat 
with helicopters flying over. I think that I think he's got like paparazzi or something. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to find me, but I don't think yeah. they will. Um, it's good to be with you guys. Thanks, Josh. Um, my name is Joe Breidenbach. I'm a K-12 architect here at a DLR group in Kansas City. I've uh, been in the K-12 world uh, for about 14 years, so most of my career. Um, I love working in K-12 um, from design to construction. had pretty balanced experience in each phase. Um, and, yeah, it's great, it's great to be with you all. Awesome. Welcome. And the person that put this all together right in the middle square below me, Rachel, welcome aboard. How all are right, you? Josh. Thanks so much for reaching out and for having us today. Um, my name is Rachel Trainer. I'm the business development leader here for the DLR Group Education Design Studio. I've been at DLR Group for about two years, but I've been in construction for almost 22 years. And I always said that if anyone can uh, remain friends and on speaking terms after a construction project, um, that's a good thing. And it's great that um, this team here today on the podcast has presented um, some CMAR um, best practices and lessons learned from um, projects that we've done in the past together. And we are all still friends and um, on speaking terms. So that's a positive. And, um, you know, we really want to um, mention how much we rely on our partners like Henderson and McCown Gordon and are always grateful for the great work that the Lee Summit School District give, gives us. And so Josh, hope your family's feeling better and can't wait for you to come out to Kansas City. Oh, it's 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 coming soon. Um, Look forward to it. Coming out with my Patriots helmet. Um, <laughs> probably not going to make it very far, but uh, no, thank you. And for those that are listening to this episode, if you haven't listened to episode two uh, with uh, Springfield Public Schools, CMAR is a construction manager at risk. It's a, it is a way to do construction projects. I'm sure we're going to get into this, um, but there are a lot of people in this industry just getting started, um, especially, and you guys are the experts, so um, I just know enough to be dangerous, so if I have a number wrong or something, but CMR approved projects and education is something relatively new in Missouri. I think it was 2016 that school districts in Missouri were allowed to start to use this process. Um, so it is something uh, new um, for that. So thank you for putting this together. And last but far from least in the bottom corner, for those that are watching, Doug, welcome. Yeah, hey, everybody. Good to be here. Uh, I'm Doug Everhart with Henderson Engineers, and we're based here, headquartered out of Kansas City. And uh yeah, no, I guess I'm just the stereotypical engineer that's sometimes forgotten, but sometimes causes problems. But usually I'm the level-headed, responsible party of the group and keep people in line. And so I'm glad to be here and be part of the uh, conversation. I, th- I think it's strange that engineer just got put put in the corner. Like Doug didn't even know. Oh, it happens. Some, happens somehow we put, time. it's not put baby in the corner, it's put engineer in the corner. And that's where Doug went. And it just automatically goes. I think that that's, you know, that's interesting. Well, well, welcome, Doug, and thank you for taking the time to be with us. Um, I want to talk about stories and, and and best practices and things that work. But, Rachel, I think you made a, a comment that just struck a chord with me um, that I don't know. I, there's so much that I don't know, and I use this as a learning lesson. But you said, you know, it's something for people to work together in a construction project and remain friends. How does a group how does this collective group of 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 DLR group and all these other companies and partners come together and work together and and stay together 
it's kind of that Ford statement, right? Coming together is a beginning, staying together is progress. And I remember working together is progress and staying together is success. Or I can't remember, I'm going to get the saying right at some point, but how does, how does that all, how does that whole cycle work of what you're talking about? You know, being able to have those people come all together and work together and, and stay together. Did I freeze, Rachel? Uh oh. Maybe not. Oh, he's back. I'm back. There's oh. a little freeze there. Might have to actually do an edit. So, did you get my question for the most part? Yeah, I'll go ahead okay. and start. And then any of these other um, subject matter experts are welcome to just um, tag on to that. But um, kind of what Brian Roth alluded to in his intro um, is that, um, you know, we are the best of the best K through 12 um, architects and general contractors, construction managers and engineers um, in the nation. And so we have a niche skill set that we go to market with and the team here has really worked together on a variety of projects like this is the a team and um you get this team um when you um you know are really committed to and interested in having a really quality product um that comes out as a finished construction product so um as number one builders and engineers and architects in k through 12 um, we're accustomed to working together and staying together throughout the process. And that's a lot about what the CM process is about is starting early together. Um, whether that's at the kickoff meeting or even before we go under contract um, to start talking about what the numbers might look like, what the schedule might look like, what the timeline might look like. So we're all successful and can um, provide a quality result to the owner, such as Lee Summit at the end. So, the, so yeah. the secret is to be a magnet, be awesome and just be a magnet of getting more awesome people on board with you through the, through the course of the project. So I, I'll just, Rachel just told us a really sweet, happy picture, but there are definitely tensions in there at the beginning <laughs> of the project, right? So um, it's, it's interesting. So we, we, we just bid a project after, you know, COVID and all that stuff. And um, with the material prices increasing and just, crazy um you, you gotta start looking at how do we reduce scope and how do we reduce uh, the project to get within the budget and, and that does create some tensions between the team and us and um you know because we're essentially taking away from the design aspect of that thing that's a very hard conversation to have but having that initial buy-in with the whole group together does help um having the open conversations with dlr and henderson and those folks just to say hey well, this is where we're at and what do we do together as a team to help drive those costs down? Um, it does help to have a very strong team at the very beginning of the job. Correct. Yeah. What What's probably this? What What's probably the 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 scratch your head? This can't be real. S supply cost increase that just has blown your mind in the last two years. Like I I know for me it was like two <clears throat> by fours because when COVID first started, I bought a, a I turned my basement into like one of those uh, prep centers or whatever they call it. Uh, I basically built 20 foot long shelves out of two by fours. And I, I wanted to build more like four months into COVID. And I went to buy more two by fours and it was like four X what they were before, you know, everything really kind of hit. Um, what, what's the most mind boggling, you know, price difference um, 
supply that you've had the challenge with and maybe supply supply issue you know longest yeah, yeah. longest lead time type of thing that people have to wait for I, from the owners so, sorry brian you want me to go Yep. <laughs> <You're> the <owner. laughs> From the owner's perspective, I think the biggest shock with us was uh, roofing and uh, HVAC electrical items. Um, the lead times were just astronomical when you look at your overall construction schedule and the amount of time it takes to get through design if you hadn't made the decisions on what products and what materials you were going to have it blows your, your schedule out of the water. And uh, we had three schools that were renovation projects that were supposed to be done over the summer. And when you have three months to procure and uh, install and have equipment up and running, that, that really makes it difficult. Yeah, to, to tag on to Brad's point, um, on the new middle school as well, uh, normally, you know, we have one supplier for, uh, roofing insulation on on this building we had seven and I know McCown Gordon had to jump through hoops to just kind of claw and scrap for whatever products they could find and you know being a critical path item it just would, would trickle through the schedule if we weren't able to have our building dried uh, in time so um, kind of uh, roadblocks along the way like that um, were really kind of our head scratcher moment for for that project so yeah. you went from you went from one supplier for, for for one roof essentially one building to seven. Correct. Had you ever if you had you ever had to do something like that before? I, I haven't seen anything like that. No. Wow. Wow. And and that's led us in in future projects. We're we're making. Um, uh, we have three roofing projects ongoing right now where we put out to the market in an open bid environment. We gave the, the roofing uh, industry control over the schedule. We didn't set a schedule and said um, bid on our projects and you provide the schedule, but the uh, material price will be what it is at bid time with allowance to cover um, your schedule, uh, duration over that time. And, uh, that seems to have worked out fairly well. Um, we're able to start a roofing project and they're working, uh, after hours to get things done, uh, one, two o'clock in the morning. And, um, so it's, it, it's the lessons that we've learned in this, this process has, begun to taught us some things that we're carrying over into future work. Yeah. Hey, hey Brad, before we go any further, give us a little lay of the land. Cause you got a whole bunch of projects going on. You get, sounds like you got a, a big district on your hands. What, what <laughs> we do. Uh, kids? We, we have um, 18 elementary schools. Um, now we have four middle schools. We had three. Uh, we opened our, our new one that this team worked on uh, in August. And then we have three high schools and we're adding um, three projects on each one of those high schools right now. That's a robotics and geometry and construction project uh, for each one of those high school campuses. So uh, that's all part of this big bond issue that was passed um, about five years ago. 
and is your is your community growing? Is this that all of your school buildings are in the same age bracket that they're they're running their the kind of their life expectancy? What's what's the kind of the lay of the land there? We're we're not growing by leaps and bounds, um, but we have we have steady growth, and a lot of it's capital infrastructure needs and um, life cycle costing, where buildings have aged and um, the curriculum and the programs have changed over time, and so our buildings have to adapt and change to um, what the educators are needing to do with our students in today's environment. Yeah, it, it, and 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 I'm. I'm not sure if you have this or not, but I, you know, you hit, you hit the nail on the head of adapting the, um, you know, to the, to what kids want to, kids are, how they learn, what they learn and, and need to learn. And right. uh, it's funny. I was in, I was in a school in uh, Holman, Wisconsin. I was at the Holman, Wisconsin uh, high school and they gave me a tour. And first of all, they have a hallway that's got every picture of every student for the last hundred years. They've got every yearbook photo in this one central hallway. And I was like, wow, if that isn't cool uh, to go down a walk down memory lane, but they actually have in their um, athletics department, they have a Ninja warrior obstacle course. And I was like, how do you, what, what in the world? And they said, well, we had, they had 75 students in their high school that wanted to train for American Ninja warrior. Like, if 10 years ago, you'd never think of that, right? Right. And since then, I've had, I actually spoke at, my mother's a school teacher, and I spoke at my mother's school to her faculty and staff. They're one of my Be Awesome clients. And the their athletic director came over to me and said, my 15-year-old son is the teenager that was on American Ninja Warrior. And I was like, well, he needs to go to Holman High School because they've got the American Ninja Warrior obstacle course. But you're, what you're saying is spot on is adapting and understanding what, the, the education environment needs to look like today opposed to what it looked like. You can have a 50 year old building that is more up to date today with renovations, uh, additions and, and adding things like robotics and other stuff to, to it, um, which is interesting. So, um, but no, you've, yeah. Tw- so you've got uh, 22, tw- 25, 26 school buildings under, under roof sounds like. Right. Okay, cool. Brian, we cut, I think we cut you off when on the, the on the question on, uh, the scariest supply story. I, I was going to chime into Doug. I think he had a talk, talk to units, mechanical units, that kind of switch gear stuff. I think Doug's pretty enlightening to me. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's definitely a fun world that we live in right now. Um, we're trying to keep tabs on it. Um, I think, you know, latest data we've seen on large air handlers is could be 40 to 50 weeks on that type of equipment um, on large switch gear you know, plus 52 weeks. If you want a utility transformer, (laughs) it's hard to find one. So uh, that's just kind of the world we live in. And these are problems, honestly, yeah, pre-pandemic, we weren't really worried about. Those were were big, large equipment that we could get to. And normally we were just arguing about cost on projects and not (laughs) lead times and and schedules. And so I think, uh, you know, and I would reinforce kind of what these guys are talking about. You know, we're all professional. We've all worked together for a lot of years and solved a lot of these problems. And, you know, I've had full confidence that when you have good people, creative people at the table, then you can you can solve any issue you run into. We just have new ones that we're dealing with, like schedule and procurement of equipment. 
And so what I've noticed is we we have to start talking about um, pre you know pre-purchase or early packages uh, on you know big jobs like this to get out in front of that schedule. And sometimes that means you know we need to be putting equipment packages out. Uh, when a building isn't fully designed, like at design development or at like 50% CDs. And I think that's just, you know, making sure that everyone understands the expectations and risk mitigation and risk management of that. But we've had to get pretty creative with with things like that. I was also going to say there's like certain rules of thumb that we always kind of fell back on, like in terms of um, cost savings ideas, you know, like one thing that comes to mind is, you know, we often went to PVC, for example, for under slab storm and under slab sanitary. And there was a point in the market where <laughs> PVC was so hard to get and the cost point of it was going getting so high. Then we were going back to cast iron, which is just kind of flipping everything on its head. Same thing with copper and aluminum with switch gear. So, you know, there's certain things like that where you just can't always rely on what you've done in the past, which I think has been interesting and kind of applying lessons learned kind of in the market moving forward. So it's interesting, interesting world. And I think you're going to see. So we're I think the materials are finally starting to get a little bit as far as pricing goes, kind of mm-hmm. flattened, plateaued. Right. But now what we're seeing is our labor shortage mm-hmm. uh, becoming the issue and the driving factor of some of the cost increases They they're saying there's almost a half a million construction job openings right now. Like just the grand scheme of thing, that's, that's enormous. So I think that's driving up some costs there. Um, so material plateaus out, labor starts going up again. So um, it's just going to be more things. We have to kind of keep our finger on the pulse to understand what that looks like when we start bidding these projects. And, you know, some of the stuff we're doing to help mitigate the labor pieces um trying to plan ahead and you know as we see our trade partners in need do we reach out to other trade partners to help you know supplement their labor and start thinking through that process during the the uh, actual construction phases of it as well yeah no this is the last I don't want us to lose sight of what this process was all about and for for the district it was the CM at risk and what we liked about that delivery method was the presumed responsibility in establishing a GMP or a guaranteed maximum price to add cost security to our projects as we go forward. And, um, you know, we have to rely a lot on the construction manager to be, be a part of that team in the very beginning, uh, along with the design team, DLR group to, uh, identify all these risks, whether it's labor, uh, lead times, uh, material shortages, all these items, the more that we can identify this up front, as, as Doug said, the more the team has a collaborative effort to come to the table and find solutions to get us to that end. Um, I think that's becoming more critical now than it ever has been. Um, otherwise, you're you're throwing a dart in the wind and seeing where it goes. Um, Brad, so, I can turn on, on your piece. So owners and clients typically have standard materials they like to use, right? Like right. Maybe, maybe whatever for mechanical systems. I think now with the fluctuating market we have, it's even more important to 
bring the owner into this whole team atmosphere and just say, you know, we have these issues and there may have to be other solutions as far as like using a different manufacturer and what are you able to accept and kind of opening that spectrum a little bit wider, I guess. Um, but that's, that's always a tough pill to swallow as well sometimes, especially with a district as big as Lee Summit. Um, they have standards they really want to try to meet and um, having those conversations can be kind of critical at certain points in the project. Right. We've had change our, our outlook on uh, materials for roofing. We've had our go-to standard for, for years and, now we're look we're back at looking at membrane roofing because it's easier to get a hold of. Um, it's easier for labor market to install. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, us as owners have to take a couple step back and re relook at our our design standards, at our material standards, and uh, take a whole new approach in some cases. Listening to you guys, um, Brian, Doug, and Brad, I've I've come to a, a realization that I want to share with poor Joe. Um, Joe, with only two years of experience, and if you look at the other three and listen to these stories, that uh, full head of hair you have might not be around much longer. So, um, <laughs> That's quick. <laughs> no, I, I'm I, I'm so I'm always amazed at at this at this stuff from from all from all aspects, right from 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 Brad and his teams needing to be to report to the stakeholders i.e. the taxpayers of what's going on and why um and having to explain hey and, and you know to most people a roof is a roof is a roof but for those that do their homework and research and want maximum life and and maximum minimum preventive maintenance needs and requirements and high likelihood of of holding up roof's pretty important and the materials that you use and that you have faith in is a pretty big deal. And I bet Brad loses sleep over the reality of saying, Hey, we have to look at other alternatives if we want this project to actually happen. Um, and then from the aspects that you have from the design uh, engineer and build uh, I listen to this stuff and I go, man, I can't be more grateful to, to the, to the work that all of you do. And Brian, the last statistic is all skilled labor. There's 3 million skilled labor jobs open today, overall, altogether not just in construction. If you take any skilled labor job that's out there today, it's over 3 million uh, just to get us level, which is, you know, that's scary. Where, where do we get them? You know, how do we get more people into the workforce quicker? Um, and the supply issue, you know, there isn't a crystal ball, but uh, it just doesn't get fixed overnight. And I just talked to a school district that's purchasing uh, through their budget, a number of, of, of rooftop units. And they said, there's a 351 day lead, lead time. Well, the budget gets gets released on July 1st. That gives you a 14 day window to have those installed because that equipment has to be installed to go under that that budgetary year. And I go, how do you how do you even manage that? How do you that's that's not a good buffer. That's you know where you used to sit, call up in J July 1st and August 1st, people were showing up with cranes to put stuff up on the roof. So. Um, it's really, it's amazing listening to you, the work that you're doing and, and what you're able to get done. Um, and I think that the messaging, I think a lot of people just don't understand it. Like we talked beforehand, I'm like, Hey, nobody ever thought getting paper towels or toilet paper was tough until COVID hit. Right. And now we're still paying a lot of money for that stuff. Uh, and trying to, trying to, and trying to relate that to the work that you guys do. Um, we, we talked about, um, you know, 
we, we touched on the labor voids um, and Brian did, and, and, and everybody, Doug, as far as, did you guys have a shortage before COVID? Was this something that hit, you know, in public sector, Brad, I'm sure you'll agree. You, you're all, you never have, you're never staffed, right. No. For operations, you're never staffed, right. So we are, that, that doesn't COVID doesn't whatever it's just schools are just, unfortunately, I tell people when schools can hire, they can't afford. Um, and when they can't hire, they're laying off or they're letting go. And and so it's a, it's never a, a, a result where you can be in the competitive workspace to get the staffing that you need. And they have to have people um, kind of like what Brian said, you have to have people that say, I love K-12 and I want to work in K-12 and they, they sip the Kool-Aid. Um, they, they, you know, I, I always say you should hire your staff on commencement day so that they can, <laughs> you know, hire, hire your staff and make their first day on the job going to the high school graduation or on the first day that kids go to kindergarten and make them clean the kindergarten class and be around those kids. Because those are the two, those are two, two days that you can sit and go, I get it. I get why I'm doing this job because it ain't about the money. Right. Um, but well, Joshua, but, you, you bring up a great point about our staff. I, just given our custodial staff, we're 30 people short out of our whole staff, which is the equivalent to cleaning two high schools. Yep. Um, and what that plays into is our material selections. We're having to be even more sensitive to what we select and the quality of the product, the maintenance of that product, the effort it takes to, to keep that product for its entire life more than we ever have before. Cause we don't have the luxury of, having somebody be able to attend to it on a, on a daily basis, like we used to be able to do. Right. Well, that's, that's actually a great question that I, that I pose is, is that, a, is that part of like the, so I've never gone through, I, I think I need to go through, like, I mean, I think I need to volunteer to just be a fly on the wall in a construction project for a school district, just so that I can go through all the components from start to finish and life. But is that part of the, I guess the survey or the, the evaluation process of, I mean, does do people come to you and say, you know, what kind of materials do you want? Do you want the kind of materials that look really good that that need a bit of work? Do you want the kind of materials that they'll take a ding and a dent pretty good and and don't need as much work? Or do you want the stuff that you just kind of slap some slap some cleaner on it and rub it around and it'll, it'll be fine and last you a while because you don't have enough people to do it? Like, how does that conversation come into play? Because when you look at like corporate spaces, right? They have all these opulent materials and all these things that require a lot of touching. And I, I don't use this as a, a braggadocious thing, but um, it's it's only because I fly a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm an Admirals Club member for American Airlines. And when you go into the Admirals Club from, from a facility-focused person, it's some of the most obscene space because of the maintain, maintenance and the cleaning that is needed the the chrome you know all of the chrome and all of the glass and all of the different materials like you always see four or five people in there constantly working right and american takes the stance of hey it's an expensive membership we want it to look good um and we'll staff it so is there is there a process that you go through um that you say hey this this is what we anticipate our staffing level to be what is the best materials for that coverage i mean the the app of standards i can't remember what the latest is and if anybody knows it but i think like the 
private sector average for custodials, like they, the cleaning is like average of 20 to 26,000 square foot a, in a shift. And I think that schools is up close to 40,000 square foot. And that doesn't include the space that needs to be cleaned twice, your gymnasiums, your auditoriums, your cafeterias, the high use after hours use of building spaces. So um, is that a conversation that happens? I'm assuming it is. At, at our district level, we're, we're going through a lot of that right now with our capital planning. We go out and meet with each uh, principal and building manager and talk about what they've experienced over the years and where their pain thresholds are and, and as well as material upkeep and quality of, of, of the building itself. But mm -hmm. the other side of that is the community expectation. Mm -hmm. And that's where the design team comes into play. And uh, when we, we set projects and bond issues, there's a certain level of quality and aesthetics that the community wants to see um, in their building. So, you know, that's where, in my opinion, that's where the balancing and the collaboration has to come into play as DLR takes our, our design recommendation standards based on these yearly insights that we do applies them to the the project program and then McCall Gordon comes in with the costing and the reality of of the construction climate and purchasing climate and uh, we have this uh, in some cases called a free-for-all and throwing everything on the table and seeing what sticks and what we can pin to the wall and what we can't. And, um, and that's, that's where the design time comes into play and setting that appropriate schedule and marrying it with the construction schedule. And then having, having the ribbon cutting day at the end, because we've all done our job and uh, we can put, put the students and the teachers in the building when we said we did. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's so true. I know how Brad knows this more than anybody, probably. But you know, we've um, the onus is on the architects to really kind of treat the building maintenance staff as another stakeholder in the project. Um, uh, we have uh, pretty engaged um, meetings with with building maintenance and talk about, you know, especially balancing, you know, what collaborative uh, learning environments look like today. Um, and there's a lot more soft surfaces, you know, kids sit on the floor and learn and, and spill out into, into the larger kind of collaborative hubs. And there's a, um, a lot of discussion as far as like, well, how's the floor scrubber going to get from here to there? Um, you know, how many, how many closets do you need for a, for a building that's, you know, 500 feet long? You, um, you really got to plan proactively and kind of integrate that within the design and making sure that, um, you know, we have some empathy for, for how the building is going to get uh, clean and maintained. Joe, I'm going to record that soundbite. I don't know how to edit, but I'm going to find somebody that knows how to edit that soundbite because I can tell you just from experience of communication with thousands of schools that this isn't, this isn't a common discussion of what happens next when the building is done. You know, planners, architects, engineers don't always look at that. They don't always look at, you know, I can't tell you how many school buildings I've gone into that have six floors, you know, two steps apart on each. And just the, just what you say, they thought it would just be a, someone with a mop and a bucket. But now we have autonomous auto scrubbers that are running around the building. And how do they get from point A to point B without falling down the stairs or having an issue or, 
any of these other things. So I love the fact that you just said, hey, we want the maintenance team involved because that's something I encourage is you got to have the people that are going to take care of the space at the table just as much as the people that are building the space. So thank you for saying that. There, I, you, you said it very eloquently, even with helicopters flying over you. So um, I think I'm, I'm, worried, I'm getting worried about Joe. I think SWAT's coming in on him. I don't know what's going on there, but uh, no, appreciate that. That was very well said. Um, this is flown. I mean, we're, we're at, we're at like 45 minutes, I think almost in this and, uh, ton of good stuff. And I've got about 16 other bullet points here, but, um, just anyone and everyone, what do you, if you had a, if you had a crystal ball, right? So we don't have any crystal balls on supply chain and all this other stuff, but if, if you had a crystal ball, what would you think? Um, are some some future trends or future? What are your, some future thoughts in the world of construction design, new and renovation that that you see uh, coming down the road? That's either I'd love to hear some things that are exciting, um, but we also need to be realistic. And what are some things that might be challenging? What keeps you up at night? I'll just reiterate probably the labor shortage is, is probably one of our biggest concerns. And um, we have an opportunity here, right, to to encourage or doing encourage these students to get excited about these skilled uh, labor positions that are out there. I feel like um, we've we focused all of our attention the past, you know, 20, 30 years on go to college, go to college, go to college, right? Mm-hmm. I think now we're starting to see this shift and um, explaining to these students how uh, you can make construction a career, right? You can make some really good money doing this. And uh, for me personally, just uh, being able to reach out to the students because they're right there at my reserve because I'm working on K-12 projects, um, getting out in front of them and explaining to them what we have an opportunity for them to do, I think it's going to be pretty critical. And that it goes for everybody, design, design and engineering as well as letting them folks understand how important it is um, of that labor and and trying to develop that pull of people here in the in the near future. Stupid question. I should know this. Are there Voc Tech schools, Voc Tech specific high schools in the state? <clears throat> yeah, they're, they're starting to become more, uh, and you're starting to see more build up the uh, career and tech centers. And Brad, I believe you guys have a really good one over there um, right. that focuses a lot on that. And I'll let you speak to that a little more if you'd like. Yeah, we have um, what we call Missouri Innovation Campus, and it was it's another one that was uh, designed uh, by DLR and, and built by McCall Gordon uh, several years ago. Um, but it's received national recognition due to its unique partnership. Not not just it's not just a district building, but it's a partnership with. Um, some regional colleges around the area, as well as local businesses. That building is probably used um, 16 to 20 hours of the day, every day, uh, by not just uh, high school students, but uh, secondary education uh, or post-secondary education with these colleges, with adults coming in in the evenings. also partnered with students. So that's, that's the change district wide that uh, I think challenges us is having that flexibility uh, 
in, in not just our facilities, but the educational programs that are going into these facilities to be able to um, provide these unique opportunities for these students. It's the, the traditional way of, of sending a student through the, the pre-K through 12th grade through post-secondary education is, is changing and it's changing every year. Uh, and in my opinion, it's, it's at a speed greater than what anybody's anticipating. So, um, you know, by the time a, a student gets through four years of college, what they started with is completely changed in the career development that they're studying. So that adaptability, that flexibility has to start year one and not everybody can do that. And I think we've got a handle on it. I don't, I don't think we're, we're great at it yet, but uh, every year we're, we're learning some, something new. I, I got a, uh, and, and Rachel just sent me the link. First of all, I, I, I love it. Um, and I love the terminology, uh, Missouri Innovation Campus. Um, it, it, it the, the what we see in Massachusetts. My mother is a, a regional uh, folk tech school, um, which they have seventeen different courses that a high school student can take. So they can they can get out and they can be a, a, a stylist at a hair salon. They can own a hair salon. They'll have their certification. They can be a plumber, auto body mechanic uh construction um and they're seeing they've had uh i think they have like 229 open positions for next year and they had their open house like 1100 kids come through so they're people trying to figure it out um but in the 80s and 90s i'm a night i grew up i i graduated high school in the early 90s um if you went to evoke tech school it was because you couldn't make it in a regular high school like that was the look and feel of what that was and now I tell my 15 year old, I go, if you don't go to Vogue tech school, you might be stupid uh, because you can get out of there and you can make a hundred thousand dollars without having a hundred thousand dollars tuition bill. And it's not for everybody. College isn't for everybody. And Vogue tech isn't for everybody, but it, it, it sure is for a lot more people. But I think that stigma and I think the words, I think that we, I think, I think public education needs to, we need to work on our marketing a little bit better. And I think that comes with making it exciting, right? Making mm -hmm. something um, fresh and up to date. And here are all the things you can do. Like you can go and learn code and become a programmer at these schools today. And most people don't know that. So um, I love innovation campus. I love the word. I love how it's, it, and I just took a quick scan. I'm going to look more into it, but I think that's great. Um, I think it's, it's up to us. I think it's, um, I, it's interesting. I, I, I talked to a robotics company and they they uh, they provide robots. One of the places that they provide robots is in Japan at banks. Um, I didn't know this, but in a lot of banks in Japan, they're they're manned by robots, and so they provide these robots to schools in the United States today for kids to work on, and free. They just they send a robot to this school and say, "Here's a robot. Here's the parts. Have your students work on." And I go, "How is that a sustainable business? How do you how, how do how do you make money?" And they go. Well, if we got 10-year-olds working on our robots and our parts and figuring out how to use them and program them and work with them, guess where they're going to come to work when they're 18 and 19 and 20 years old? So I think mm -hmm. this is a great opportunity. Brian, I love the word, word opportunity. I think this is a great opportunity for private sector to really start to marry themselves with these with these organizations and these groups and sponsoring and 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 promoting and having reverse open houses and all these ideas to get these kids excited at 
the opportunity of being able to make a difference, building K-12 schools for kids to grow up in. So, uh, and learn. And so that's, that's great. And now I, now I know something new and now I have something to look at, which is innovation campuses in Missouri. So what, what else do we have? What, what else is uh, exciting or a challenge uh, that we see in the, in our crystal ball? Well, I'll, I'll give you guys a couple and kind of what you've been talking about there. Josh is where my mind was headed to. Like I've got a senior in high school this year and as a, as a parent, you know, I'm trying to steer one way or the other and, you know, we're not going to force him to go to college. He's really good at hands-on stuff and, you know, some of these CTE programs. And it seems like a lot of districts in Missouri and in Kansas and in this region uh, of the country have awoken to the fact that, you know, there's a lot of jobs and availabilities out there and good careers and uh, educating students towards those ready, ready available careers I've definitely seen as a trend. A lot of the new projects coming out are CTE, career tech ed mm -hmm. uh, type facilities. And, um, you know, that's that's where the jobs are headed and there's huge opportunities out there. What I thought is interesting, um, reacting to that when you think about it from engineering or the design side, um, is how we're kind of changing our mindset on how we design buildings systems-wise, you know, mechanical plumbing you know, with that decrease in skilled labor, a lot of that is retiring over COVID. You know, our mindset has kind of shifted to how can we design around modular components, you know, modular pieces of ductwork, modular pieces of piping, uh, equipment layouts that can be prefabricated, right? Prefabricated in a shop prior to instead of the old way of doing it, pulling all the pieces out there and building it all in the field. You know, we're we're shifting to a mindset of prefabrication or modular design. And I thought that's been kind of interesting. I've definitely seen a shift post-pandemic DLR. I'm sure you've seen the same. Brian McCown, I think you guys have seen the same too. Uh, just, a, just a shift towards that type of design because instead of having customized layouts, you know, you can design around a modular piece and, and prefab that. So I, I think that's kind of interesting. Too. And then I'll throw a wild one at you. I think in 10 years, uh, something we're going to be talking about in terms of how we design and uh, use Revit and modeling uh, is essentially turning that model over to contractors and then eventually to owners almost as a, you know, use the term digital twin. But, you know, basically it's a virtual um, digital representation of the physical building. And, and that's a tool that could be used for operations and maintenance and, um, you know, tagging nameplate data and life of equipment that's left to that model to where, you know, if I'm Brad and his facilities department, you know, I can pull up the model as an operations tool and I can inventory out my system and I can see how much life that air handler has left. Uh, or if there's a filter that's about needing to be changed out, you know, I can, I can use that model as a tool for kind of uh, the future use of the business building the future operations and maintenance of the building. And then when you think about augmented reality and virtual reality tools and how we can use that in construction uh, in conjunction with the model, I think, you know, if you look out wild idea, I know, but down the road, 10 years, I think that's what all of our lives are going to look like. That's what, that's where the industry's definitely headed is using those tools um, all together in both engineering owner side and also construction 
Doug, you're, uh, you're, we're, we're, we're on track as far as, uh, so I'm on the technology side of things on top of being an amazing podcast host, which all of you are going to agree and give five star ratings and reviews of this episode and probably send me coffee mugs and things of, of appreciation. Um, I've been in the, the computerized maintenance management software, uh, work orders, preventive maintenance, inventory, all that fun stuff for 25 years. And it was 25 years ago. I was telling the story yesterday. It was 1996. I was sitting in a conference room and we all had to get dressed up as a, like Star Trek people. And we had these things that we didn't know what they were. And we're going around blasting everything. And we were hitting all these barcodes. And this was 1996. And we're saying, this is the wave of the future. You're going to have this this gun-looking thing. And you're going to hit this barcode. And you're going to be able to see what it is. And, you know, that's evolved now where you're talking about plate information. You know, there's technology today that can go and read a plate digitally, um, pull that plate, stick a QR code on it. And now that maintenance technician can go and just scan that QR code pull up a picture, pull up a work history, pull up a preventative work order need. Um, and then as you start to collect and aggregate data and build data lakes, um, that's where the power is going to be is in Missouri. You know, that filter change, it, it varies. That piece of equipment that has a filter replacement, you know, every three months, the the replacement frequency could vary based on on location, based on weather, based on you know, if you're in New Mexico and you get those crazy dust storms, uh, you're going to need to change more frequently in the summertime when when that stuff hits. Um, it's 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 there. It's not why it's not widely adapted yet. And I think it's I think part of it, uh, Doug, is bridging the gap. I think that there is a that what I see and I and I love what you said and that it's a wild one because I think it's great and I and and something I advocate hugely for. I'm doing it in my own community. I just got off the phone before this call calling my facility director in my town because we're building an amazing, I, I would say um, Brad would want it in his district, listening to him and his level of of excellence. I think he'd be proud of this. We're turning three elementary schools into one large campus elementary school and, and everybody's so proud of it. And I said, okay, the ribbon gets cut, but then what, right? Mm-hmm. How do we, how do we maintain, manage that? And there needs to be this, this tie-in from the people that did it and got it to the people that are going to maintain it. And I think a lot of what you're talking about, you're going to see that happen. And I think what you're talking about, which I love, is getting Brad involved, engaged, and understanding workloading and needs sooner, opposed to, you know, at the end of it saying, hey, you're probably going to need, uh, you know, 450 additional PM man hours of work. And, oh, you're 30 people short for those three high schools. We're sorry about that. We probably should have discussed that sooner. So I love it. I think, yeah, that's that, right. I think you're spot on. And I predict that you and I, my friend will talk in 10 years um, you, about your senior in high school and my 15 year old and my, then my then will be 15 year old second child. Um, and we'll talk about how our parents should have told us how difficult it was to be a parent, not just to us, but to all kids um in their career choices but in 10 years i think you and i'll have a conversation we'll say see we were right we had it spot on people should have listened to us sooner so uh no very good stuff. that's right i think i think you're, i think you're right i think you're on i think you're i think you're yeah. i think i think well, i think it's going to be sooner uh i'll tell you guys if you want to watch a video that's going to freak you out and scare you a little bit if you haven't watched it go to youtube and search shift happens 
from 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of scary stuff in there. But one of the things that it talks about is the, the, the speed at which they thought technology would move in 2006. And when you do a comparative analysis to today, we're way ahead of what they thought, which is scary. So, well, good. We got uh, we got a couple left. Anything we missed? Anything you want to put in your crystal ball or thoughts before we wrap up? I think this has been awesome. Appreciate everybody's input. Yeah, no, this is this was great. I I uh, I've, I've got three pages of notes. Um, Brad, when I get out, I'm I'm going to be getting out to your neck of the woods a bit more. Uh, uh, in the upcoming year, I'd, I'd love to come and see some of your spaces and some of your projects. So uh, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to be looking you up. Love to have you. And uh, this has been great. Getting all of you together in the same room um, and learning from you has been something amazing for for me and I know for the members of MSPMA. So again, Rachel, thank you for uh, putting together this this dynamic team for uh, for this podcast. The last, thing the last thing I'm going to do is I want people to be able to get a hold of you should they want to talk to some experts in industry. So, um, and if anybody wants to, I'm sure, Brad, you're probably, I'm sure you're open to having uh, fellow districts um, hear of the successes, pains, and challenges and, and opportunities you've had. So why don't we start with how, how do people, how do people find you? You're on LinkedIn. Um, is there some, some place they want them to look you up? Uh, yeah. LinkedIn. Yeah. You look me up at LinkedIn. Um, I can, my email is my first name, Brad dot Keel K I E H L at LSR com. Pretty straight and simple. Okay. Um, and, uh, they can also call me at 816-819-9106. Awesome. Thank you. And uh, I'm going to connect with you on LinkedIn after this myself. So be on the lookout. Awesome. Brian. Yeah. And, so, and what would they, what, when, and also why would they contact you? What are your, you know, just your expertise and things that they might want to call and look to you for? Absolutely. Experiences with CMAR, I think it's a pretty good one. I know it's just starting to come gain traction in Missouri, but I, like I said, I've done quite a few years of it now on the Kansas side as well. So, Definitely could provide some good input there. Um, reach me LinkedIn. Obviously, look me up there. Uh, Twitter. If you follow me on that, you can kind of keep up to date with my current project. I try to post uh, weekly on that, which is some interesting, fun stuff there. Um, my email, uh, Brian, uh, B-R-O-T-H, at McCallumGordon.com, M-C-C-O-W-N, Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N.com, or cell phone, 816-645-8538. What were the last four numbers? Eight five three eight. Okay, I want to put all this stuff in the show notes. Make sure I have all the correct contact information. Helicopter Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's gone. So, um, yeah. Uh, any questions related to uh, design and planning um, and how that looks in the CMAR process? Um, I'd be happy to answer anything. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Joe Breidenbach. That's B R E I D E N B A C H. Um, if you go on dlrgroup.com and look at my name, you should be able to find all my contact info. Awesome. Rachel, before you go, 
Yeah, thanks, Josh. Um, and if you got any extra be awesome t-shirts, you can send them to us also. Um, both, <laughs> Joe, both Joe and I represent um, the K-12 Education Design Studio out of our Overland Park office. So all, all that information um, is online. Our emails is our first initial last name, R-T-R-E-A-N-O-R at dlrgroup.com. And you and I are already linked in. It's a great place to find me as well. Really enjoyed the time, guys. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. And we'll see you soon. Rachel has to bounce off. She sent me a note. Doug in the corner, who's not going to be in the corner after. Well, they actually still are in the corner. He just moved <laughs> to less of the corner. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, um, yeah, feel free to contact. Um, I'll, I'll just uh, point people to um, Henderson's website, hendersonengineers.com, and that's a good home place to find my contact info. I'm the K-12 practice director at Henderson. We also put a ton of thought leadership articles out there kind of that are trending in the K-12 world as it relates to systems design, so I'd encourage people to go check that out. We always try to keep it up to date with, what, with what's going on in the industry. And then, yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Be the Dougie Fresh is my nickname, Dougie Fresh. That's what people call me. So that's what my <laughs> Twitter and Instagram is. So I like good it. to be here though. Appreciate it. I like it. No, I appreciate it. Thank you all for, for joining. This has been great. Um, we, we, we set this podcast up uh, with the idea of, of uh, short snippets. The average commute time in the United States is 27 minutes. There is so much good content that I don't limit it to, uh, you know, 27 minutes. So you're going to have to listen to this on the drive in. You get so excited at what you hear. You're going to want to listen to the drive out. And when you're done with it, you're going to wish there was more because this was uh, a really strong episode with just a ton of of great nuggets of knowledge. So thank you all for sharing uh, your experience and uh, and your wins and some of your losses and challenges that you that you're facing um and and in brian's big word uh which i think we all have which is opportunity i think we just need to figure out and find it and it's a little bit different so uh appreciate you all appreciate everybody for for listening in with us and and for riding along um as always this is a new podcast my goal uh my my other two podcasts are in the top three and five percent of all podcasts there's 3.7 million of them out there so we want to get a, this rating up and the best way to get rating is listeners followers likes and and comments so if you can follow and share our podcast on all podcast platforms and if we're doing a good job even though we're only three episodes in i think we got some good stuff hit that five star button give us a comment uh we want to get as much exposure out to the world on the great things that are going on in the school districts in missouri and the partners that they work with so uh, we're going to have a couple more episodes here in the next few weeks over the holidays. If you have any suggestions or ideas, send them to me, Josh, J-O-S-H at Be Awesome. And that's B-E-A-U-S-M dot com. And then uh, we'll be talking to you real soon. Have a great day, everybody.